Hello and welcome. My name is Pastor Shane Britt, and it is such an honor to have you join our podcast today. I pray that you will find something uplifting and encouraging in the word you are about to hear. Also, please feel free to connect with us via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I'm so excited about what you're about to hear. Let's dive right into the Word of God. God. Genesis chapter 26. We'll start in verse 1 and we'll read a couple of different sections of Scripture today. Verse number 1, And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee. And will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. And I will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because, everybody say because, that Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And then if you'll jump in with me to verse number 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year an hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great, for he had possession of flocks and possession of herds and great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. And Isaac departed thence and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham. And he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley and found there a well of springing water. And the herdmen of Gerar did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Essek, because they strove with him. And they digged another well and strove for that also. And he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed from thence and digged another well. And for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, For now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. I want to preach to you with the help of the Holy Ghost today on this subject. Dig your own well. Look at your neighbor and say, dig your own well. Amen. If you'll put your Bibles down and you'll pray with me and lift up the name of the Lord. Jesus, we're calling on you today. Hear us, oh God. We need you in this service. We need your presence to be manifest with us today. Lord, have your hand on us as we go forward in your word, as we seek your face, and as we search you today. Jesus, we pray that your anointing would be on us, that the Holy Ghost would flow in this place in a mighty way. Lord, we will be careful to give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. And you may be seated. Apostolic Pentecostals, as we call ourselves, have a rich heritage as a church. 
We often times call ourselves restorationists because we consistently try to be as much like the first century church as we possibly can. And although you can find evidence of this type of church through the centuries and during persecution and being silenced, the most memorable reemergence of the first century church happened towards the turn of the last century in America. Charles Parham was a Methodist minister who had grown curious at whether or not the American church was truly a biblical one. He formed a Bible school in Topeka, Kansas, where the only textbook was the Word of God. He charged no tuition, and he asked that whoever was willing would sell all that they had and come for study and for prayer. At the end of a semester in December of 1900, he left for a few days charging his students to search the Scriptures and find out what they could about the Holy Ghost that he did not yet know. When he returned, they informed him that they had found in the book of Acts instances of individuals and groups being filled with the Holy Ghost and that the evidence of this was speaking in other tongues. They said that in their study, it was when the laying on of hands occurred that the Holy Ghost fell. Parham insisted on trying out what they had found and what they had learned. So during a prayer meeting, they laid their hands on a young lady named Agnes Osman, and she began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave her utterance. And there is where the revival began. Parham then be began to teach a young minister by the name of William J. Seymour. Seymour received the gift of the Holy Ghost as well and began his ministry. He started putting in his own work. And eventually, he found himself in Southern California broke and unable to travel. He began having prayer meetings in the living room of a friend's home until more and more people began to join. Soon, the groups were too large for the home. So they purchased an old mission down the street and began holding services there. People from all over the country flocked to this little mission on Azusa Street in Southern California to experience the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Services and prayer meetings were held from morning to night, inside and outside the building, every day for three years straight. Out of this revival came several ministers that started several church organizations, including the United Pentecostal Church International. Pastors were called, missionaries were sent forth, and the world began to be turned upside down. The name of one of the pastors that was called was Nathaniel A. Urshan. He was the son of an immigrant preacher, and he was the pastor of Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis for many years. He pastored my grandparents while they were young children. He pastored them while they were growing up, and he pastored them even to the point of them having all of their children. He pastored a great church. And three pastors later, there is still a great church in Indianapolis. I grew up there. My father grew up there. My grandparents grew up there. I know a lot of the people that went there. I know a lot of people that go in there now. I know a lot of people that my father grew up with and that my grandparents grew up with. I know a lot of people that used to attend that church that no longer do. I know a lot of people that went to that church, that went to the same altars that I went to, that went to the same altars that my father went to, that went to the same altars that my grandmother and my grandfather went to, that no longer even go to a church, that are no longer a part 
of the body. If I begin to sit down and list all the people that I know that used to be a part of the body, that used to be in those same altars with me, that laid hands on me and I laid hands on them, that no longer even call themselves a believer. If I began to list that amount of people, it would be innumerable and it would be unbelievable. And it would begin to bring a tear to my eye. There are people in our churches that rely on the work of those that came before them. They rely on the prayer life of the ones leading them. They try to draw from the spiritual experience of their pastor, of their father, of their grandfather to get through their spiritual life. They try to draw from wells that their fathers dug. And when they turn out to be dry, these kinds of people tend to become discouraged. They become weary of trying to contend with the world around them while simultaneously trying to draw from a well that has no more water. They keep trying to fight battles that they don't need to fight, and it gets too difficult, and they quit. If we don't quit depending on what other people have done in the past, the spiritual work that others have put in, the experiences that our fathers had, that our grandfathers had, that our pastors have had, and start relying, relying on our relationship with God and our spiritual life, we will tire, we will wear ourselves out, and we will realize that the old wells, although important, are dry for us. What Brother Urshan did for my grandparents and what the entire church of, and what he did for the entire church of Calvary Tabernacle means a lot. Because of what he did and because of what other pastors there since him have done, Calvary is blessed. My grandparents are blessed. I am blessed. Because of the life that Abraham lived and because of the covenant that he had with God, Isaac was blessed. His efforts were blessed. Because of what Abraham did, Isaac was blessed. Without the relationship that Abraham had developed with God and even with Abimelech, Isaac's efforts would not have been nearly as successful. Because of what our fathers have done, our efforts are blessed. Because of the fact that your pastor puts in the time that he does in prayer and in fasting, your efforts in a spiritual life are that much more likely to be successful. Brother Pitts, I honor you today for all the work that you have done. I honor you for submitting to the call of God to come to heart. So without you, without your work, without your digging of a well, I would not have a pulpit in Hartzell to stand at today. I honor you today, Brother Pitts. But just because Brother Pitts has done what he has done, just because of the wells he has dug are there, does not mean that they are for me to draw from. I've had three pastors in my life. My first pastor, Brother Paul Mooney, taught me to surrender and to give everything to God. My second pastor, Brother Brent Brosom, taught me to do everything for the Lord in perfection because the one who has called me is perfect. And my pastor now, our pastor, although he hasn't been the man of God in my life for long, has taught me through his actions and through his sermons, that forgiveness and mercy are an essential part of this Christian life. But unless I apply what these great men of God have taught me to my life, they taught me in vain. Unless you apply what the, your pastor is teaching you, unless you apply what your fathers, what your grandfathers, what your ancestors have taught you, unless you apply it to your own life, you can't draw from it. 
You can't draw from the wells that they dug. You can't pull water from a dry well. You can't pull water from an empty well. You have got to dig your own well. There still needs to be a reaching. There still needs to be a searching. There still needs to be an effort on our part. What Pastor Britt has done in this church can never guarantee your salvation. What he has done is made it easier to know that salvation and to reach for it. But there still needs to be a reaching on your part. There still needs to be a searching for that salvation. There still needs to be a pushing for that. There still needs to be a digging of your own wells. Somebody say amen. In the Old Testament world, a well was much more significant than it would be today. It was oftentimes the sole source of water for certain families that were far from streams and rivers or seas. Digging one meant several days of work, if not weeks, even if one had servants or slaves. The depth of these types of wells that Abraham had dug in his day were around 40 to 45 feet just to the surface of the water and ranging from 5 to 12 feet in diameter. They were hand-dug by men with tools until they hit water, if they ever found it. Men were lowered down with hoists to fill buckets with dirt that were lifted out and dumped. Once the water table was found, the men began lining the well with stones and clay from the bottom up. I say all that to say digging and building a well is a long an arduous task. It is back-breaking work to dig a well. It is not something that I will tell you is easy today. But if one intends to survive, it has to be done. If you, are, if you intend to survive this last hour, if you intend to make it, you have got to dig your own well. If you intend to survive, you've got to put in the work. You've got to put in that back-breaking hard work of digging your own well because you're not going to be able to draw from the wells that were dug before. You're not going to be able to draw from Pastor Britt's well. You're not going to be able to draw from Brother Paul's well. You are going to have to dig your own well. I've come to tell somebody today that I know it's getting harder and harder every day to live this apostolic life. I know it's getting harder and harder to call yourself a child of the living God while everyone in the world around you falls deeper and deeper into hell. I know it's getting harder to keep living a holy life when there are so many around you trying to get you to let it all go. But I'm telling you, there is no more time. There is no more time to gamble with how we're living. There is no more time to wonder if we're missing out on something. There is no more time to say that this type of life is too hard. Jesus is coming back soon. He's coming back to take us home. He's coming, back to, he's coming back to take us to a place where we will run and jump and leap on, and dance on streets of gold. He's coming to take us to a place where we will worship at his throne for all of eternity. God is coming soon to take his bride home. But until that day comes, we have got to survive. We've got to keep pushing. And if we're going to survive, we've got to start digging our own wells. I can't rely on what the wonderful men and women of God have done in the past in order to bolster my relationship with God. When Jesus comes, I talked to the youth about this a little bit this morning, but when Jesus comes, he's only going to say one of two things. He's either going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter therein to the glory of God. Or the more sobering one, he's going to say, depart from me. Thou worker of iniquity, I never knew you. 
And we're going to look at him and plead, God, what do you mean you never knew me? What do you mean you never knew me? My dad was a pastor. My mom was a Sunday school teacher my whole life. My grandfather was a church planner. My grandmother was the greatest prayer warrior in our church all her life. What do you mean you don't know me, God? Young people, you can't look at God and say, God, what do you mean you don't know me? I went to church every Sunday because of my mom and dad. I went to every Wednesday service. My mom and dad brought me. I went to every youth event. My mom and dad brought me. He's going to say, yeah, you went. But did you ever want to go deeper with me? Did you ever want to go any deeper? Did you ever want to know more of me? Oh, Jesus. Did you ever try to dig a little deeper when you felt like you couldn't find any water? Did you ever want a little more of me? Yeah, you went. Yeah, you were there. Yeah, you did everything they told you to do. But did you ever want to go any deeper? Did you ever want more? I saw when you were digging, you stopped too early. Or whenever you did dig deep enough to find what I had for you, someone came along and told you it wasn't yours and you listened. If you had only dug a little more and a little more, you would have found me. If you would have stopped trying to dig where your fathers had dug, you would have found me. I formed you in your mother's womb. I knew who you would be before you were ever born. And I gave you every chance. I gave you every opportunity. But you quit digging. You quit searching. You quit looking for me. Depart from me. I never knew you. Someone hear me today. Which two of these phrases we hear on that day is dependent not upon what Brother Pitts has done, not upon what Pastor Britt has done, not upon what whatever those great men and women of God that came before you have done, but upon what you decide to do today and tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and every day until he comes back for you. If we're going to survive, we have got to start digging our own wells right now. Right now. John chapter 4, verse number 5 says, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me? which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him of him, and he would have given thee living water. Somebody say living water. The woman saying unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. 
But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The Samaritan woman didn't even fully comprehend what Jesus was talking about when he said living water. She was more concerned with the well that Jesus supposedly had dug. If he was drawing water, it couldn't be from this well that her ancestor Jacob had built. He had nothing to draw water with and nothing to drink from. He must have dug his own well elsewhere. There must be, that must be where he is getting his living water. Even this woman, generations and generations down the line from Jacob, honored this well that Jacob had dug so much, she almost missed it when Jesus mentioned living water to her. Living water. What Jesus was trying to let this woman know, as we can see from the end of this passage, is that he himself is the one who provides the living water. He is the well. When we start digging wells, we're not looking for the same thing that Jacob was looking for, or that Isaac was looking for, or that Abraham was looking for. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth within you. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, The water that I give shall be in him a well springing up into everlasting life. Jesus is that water. He is within us, and he is what we are looking for when we start digging that well. Even if you do what I'm telling you not to do and you empty all the old stuff from all those old wells that were dug a long time ago and you do find water, what you have found is temporary. It is something that lasted for them, but it will not last for you. What we are looking for is that living water that springeth up like a well. I'm not looking for the things of this life that are only going to satisfy me for a season. I'm not looking for things in this life that will fill the appetites of my flesh. I'm looking for that living water. I'm looking for that kind of experience that will satisfy me to the end of time and forevermore. I'm looking for more of Jesus. Amen. Somebody clap your hands to that name. The names that Isaac gave to the wells that he dug and the land where Abraham dug his were Essek and Sitna. Translated, these words mean contention and hatred. We won't find what we think we're looking for by going back to where we used to be. We won't find what we need when we try and lean on the efforts of the people of the past. We will, all we will find is hatred from those that are trying to live off of that past experience themselves, those that want the water for themselves, those that don't want to put in the effort of cultivating a spiritual lifestyle of their own, a relationship with God all their own. You'll come across these kind of people in your life. There'll be someone you used to know and used to hang around, but at some point you got serious and they didn't. Now they not only want to live off of what people did in the past for God, but they want to live off of what you are trying to do for God. Flee from that kind of person and flee from that way of thinking. It says in the scripture that Isaac removed from thence and went to dig another well. Nobody fought him over this one. He went somewhere that Abraham had not been. He went somewhere that was meant for him. This well he named Rehoboth, meaning open spaces. 
God wants to be fruitful. God wants you to be fruitful in your walk with him. He wants you to have something all your own, similar to what those that came before you had, but separate. What those that came before you had was meant for them. It is not meant for you. I don't mean to say that the Holy Ghost is not meant for you. I don't mean to say that a relationship with God is not for you. I am saying their relationship with God is not for you. What they did in their lives for God, the time that they spent in prayer, the time that they spent fasting, the time that they spent reading the Word of God is not for you. What you do is for you. No one can draw from those old wells and no one can draw from your well. Amen? What God has for you is for you. It's a new well, a fresh wind, something that is meant for you today. He has wide open spaces for you to start going deeper with him. All you need to do is get out of the old habits and get into the new. If the music would come. I want to preach really short and sweet so we can go out to eat. So you'll say, okay, Brother Zach, we got to dig wells. We got to get out of where we used to be and dig wells. We got to get tired of trying to draw from dried up wells and we got to dig our own, a new one. So, how do we do that? Let me try and illustrate it this way. A man wanted to dig a well to water his farm. After digging for a while where some water diviners instructed him to dig, he found no water and got discouraged after digging about 15 feet. Another man came by and laughed at him for digging there and pointed to another place. And so the man went and he dug there for about 20 feet and he found no water. Very tired and weary and ready to have a well, he took the advice of a wise old neighbor that assured him there was water in yet another place. He eventually gave up on that one too before his wife came to him. How many husbands in here know this is the truth? And said, why don't you just think about it? Does anyone sink a well like that? Just stay in one place and dig deeper and deeper there. The next day, the farmer spent the whole day on digging one hole until he came to an abundance of water. I've come to tell someone today, if you want to find that living water that I've been talking about, if you want to have that well springing up inside of you unto everlasting life, don't get discouraged when you try once and you don't find what you're looking for. Don't just dig a shallow well and expect to find what you're looking for. God is calling you to go deeper. God has not called you to just grow weary and grow tired and to say, I'm done with this. God has called you to keep working. He's called you to keep pushing. He's called you to keep searching. And he's called you to keep on digging that well. Somebody say amen. God is calling you to go deeper. Just stay right in that spot that you found and keep on digging. 
There's living water down there. There's life down there. There's the difference between heaven and hell down there. If you'll just keep digging, you'll find it. And I know that sounds more of a fire and brimstone type of message, but I'm not trying to scare anybody to the altar today. I'm just trying to encourage somebody and say, I know you've come to become tired. I know you've become weary. I know you felt like you haven't found what you're looking for, but I'm telling you, if you will just keep searching, if you will just keep digging, you will find what you need. You will find that thing that you are searching for. You will find that living water that Jesus spoke to the woman of Samaria about. Amen. If you'll stand with me. So how do we dig? We just got to pick up the tools. There's no special way about it. We just got to pick up the tools. I don't have a trick for you. I don't have any kind of spiritual revelation about how to dig a well. All I know is that you just got to pick up the tools and start digging. That's one tool. Here's another one. How are you going to start digging your wells? How are you going to start going deeper? You just got to pick up the tools. And you just got to start digging. You just got to go. And I know it's risky because you, you never know if you're going to find water until you get down low. But you certainly won't find it if you don't start. Yeah, you might not find what you're looking for after the first time, after the first try. You might not find exactly what you think you need at the start. But I'm telling you, just keep digging. God has called all of us to go deeper with him. Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights are important, but what I'm preaching to you this Sunday morning needs to carry on into your life tonight, tomorrow morning. It needs to carry on into Tuesday, into Wednesday, into the day of the coming of the Lord. We go deeper by studying the Word of God. You don't need to be a pulpit preacher of the gospel to know what His Word says. Without it, we are completely lost. Without this tool, we are completely shallow. Without our tools, we won't be able to get deep enough. We won't ever be able to find that water without our tools. We go deeper by spending time in fasting and letting our flesh die out so that our spirit can grow. Fasting is one of those harder parts of life, believe me, I know. It's one of those hard parts of life, especially today with how much we have to consume. But if we want to go deeper with God, we can't do it in the flesh. We go deeper with God in prayer. Prayer not just today, not just at the altar, not just in the prayer room, not just on a Sunday or on a Wednesday. Not just for 10 minutes at a time, but deep, intimate prayer that lasts. You won't get water out of a shallow well. You won't go deep with God if you don't pray, if you don't talk to Him. I want my relationship with my wife to be a deep one. But if I only talk to her for 10 minutes a day, I won't get there. If I only talk to God for 10 minutes a week, that's a shallow well. I won't get where I need to be. I won't get that living water. So if you say, God, I don't know how to dig a well, 
God, I don't know if, I don't know how I'm supposed to go deeper. He'll tell you. Just pick up the shovel and start digging. All right, Brother Zach, we know we got to dig a well. We know what kind of tools we need to use, but I don't know where to start. If we go back to our original text, Genesis 26 and verse 25, it says, And he builded an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged a well. If you're not sure where to start when it comes to digging this well, I've been telling you to dig. The only place to start is at an altar. The only place to start digging that well is at an altar. The only way to begin to go deeper with God is at an altar. My great-grandfather, Elmer Cunningham, was a tenant farmer. And if you know anything about tenant farmers, they tend to be stressed out because if they don't raise enough crop, they could lose their home. And he had a wife and nine children. Somebody told him, they said, if you don't get right with God, he's going to take one of those children. Him being who he was, a stubborn man, didn't believe that. And as a nine-year-old, his son, GW, was hit by a car. And so that next week, there was a tent revival. And my great-grandfather, Elmer, brought his wife and his eight remaining children to a tent revival. His wife got the Holy Ghost right off the bat that very first night. It wasn't until a year later that Elmer walked into a barn. They had an evangelist come, and his wife was serving dinner and and cooking for the, the evangelist and her children while Elmer went into the barn to pray. He said, I haven't got where I need to be yet. I'm gonna take some time. And I've heard the story from my great aunts and uncles. They say one of them saw him walk out of the barn. He was walking towards the house, and he stopped. He hung his head, and he turned right back around, and he went back into the barn. And it wasn't 10 minutes later, he comes stumbling out drunk in the Holy Ghost. He built an altar, and he dug his well. His daughter, Ruby... She didn't get the Holy Ghost until after he did. But she wanted it so desperately. My great uncle said that he could hear her at night down the hall, groaning and weeping from fasting for so long because she was so desperate for a move of God within her own life. And I don't mean to grandize my family, but these are just the examples that I have. Forgive me. She goes to work the next day, and they can see that she's tired. Her boss says, why don't you go ahead and take a little minute? You don't look too good. So she walks outside. She's on the street corner, and she looks down, and she sees what they called in those days a shotgun church, a real small little building. And she didn't walk. She ran to that church, burst through the doors, and ran to the altar and fell on her face and began to shout in other tongues, not even thinking about the world around her. After she spent time with God, she looked up and she saw a group of little old Baptist ladies. She didn't even know what kind of church she was going into. All she knew 
is that she had to find an altar. One of these little old ladies came up to her and said, darling, I don't know what just happened to you, but it's real. Oh, we need to find an altar. She built an altar somewhere, and then she started digging that well. Sister Andy, I don't know all of your history, but what I understand is that you have a long heritage of apostolic believers. That well that they've dug is not for you. You've got to dig your own. But you've got to teach your babies. Bella, you're not going to be able to draw from her well. Sailor, you're not going to be able to pull from your mama's well. You've got to learn to dig your own. You've got to hold on to that. the tanner. You've got a history. You've got a heritage. You won't be able to draw from the wells that your mom and dad What they dug is not for you. You've got to dig your own well. What those that came before us did is so important. It was so wonderful. It was a move of God. But that was for them. That was for what they had. If it wasn't for what my relatives did, I don't know if I'd even be where I am today. Because they found a place to build an altar and just keep going deeper. My efforts to do the same are blessed. What my ancestor did means a lot to me. But unless I grab my shovel and I go into that prayer room, it means nothing. Unless I grab my shovel and I come right here to this altar, it means nothing. It's all in vain. Because of what they did, I'm able to do what I do right now. Because It's blessed. It's blessed. But I've got to do it on my own. If I don't pick up my shovel and find an altar, it means nothing. So I'm opening up these altars right now. And I hope somebody would step out of their seat. I'm calling on someone that knows they need to go deeper. Jesus is calling you to pick up your tools and to get to work. Jesus is calling you to pick up, pick a spot here at an altar and just start digging. He knows you've been discouraged before. He knows that you might not have found what you're looking for the last time you tried, but he just wants you to go deeper today.